you're an entrepreneur. You're ready to start your own company and you're all in right now. Your ideas never stop, even when you're dreaming. But let's have ourselves a pocket-sized pep talk because there's some pretty discouraging numbers out there relating to business failures, like the one that tells us 75% of businesses fail within the first five years. Not to worry. There are some amazing entrepreneurial teachers out there who can spare you from making critical mistakes, and you're going to be hearing from one of them. A pocket-sized pep talk podcast that can help energize your business and your life with a quick, inspiring message. Now, here's your host, Rob Jollis. Today's guest, Larry Gaynor, is the founder and CEO of TNG Worldwide since 1985. TNG's best-selling brands include 4Pro Professional Collection and Ginger Lily Farms. He's also the author of Take a Chance, 101 Entrepreneurial Lessons, I do that again one moment. He's also the author of Take a Chance, 101 Entrepreneurial Life Lessons for Making It Big. Happy to have you with us. Welcome to the show, Larry. So amazing that you're having me on the show, Rob. It's a true honor because you're just like one of those guys that you know you just connect with and you just want to spend more and more time with. So I just I just love the opportunity. Thanks. Oof. Well, but grateful for that. Thanks. I I let me earn it a little bit here, but um, I'm, I'm, those words aren't lost on me, and I'm, I'm really grateful. So thank you. All right, now let, let me. I got to live up to that. So let, let's dive right in. And with you, you know, you refer. I was looking, looking you over a little bit. You refer to yourself as a serial entrepreneur, and you can recognize sales opportunities, understand what customers want before they even want them. I want you to unpack that for me because. I think that's a great place to start because if we can do that, man, this entrepreneurial thing is going to get a little bit easier for us. How do you do that? It's that easy. But the thing is, you just have to open your eyes. You just have to look at your environment and you have to trust your gut instinct. So let me give you an example. I'm like 15, 16 years old. I'm working at my father's hardware store in the city of Detroit. And people don't have washer and dryers at home. They go to a laundromat. This is this is back when you know in the seventies, and I, I go get a pop. Uh, we say pop in Michigan, not soda, and uh, it's ten cents a bottle, by the way. And uh, I see this is a vending machine next door to the pop machine, and people are buying little boxes of detergent and Downy, and they're buying bleach. And I said, you know, I think there's a demand for laundry products at the hardware store. So I, I went to uh, in my station wagon and picked up a bunch of Tide and Clorox and Downy, and I built an end cap right at the entrance. So these customers coming in right next to the laundromat, they see these big boxes and big gallons and, and, and so forth. We sold out in two days. The demand was incredible. And from there, the end cap became a, a whole aisle. We had a toilet paper, paper towels, cleaning supplies, air fresheners, blah, 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 blah. So the thing is, the opportunity is right in front of you. You just got to look for it. And once you look for it and see it, don't sign it. Yeah. And, and folks, that's exactly what a serial entrepreneur sounds like. Um, <laughs> I'm telling you, in my, the hair on my arm is sticking up a little because that's exactly what it sounds like. Um, this is a guy who clearly is not afraid to take a couple of chances. Look, we're thinking about, we're not we're just rolling the dice here, but taking some chances and uh, and so many people, I, 
And I remember I used to, I saw a quote one time, free yourself from your prison of familiarity. And it really stuck with me because I, I do, I think it can become a prison some point. Uh, did you ever see the show? I don't even know if it's still on now. It was called The Prophet. No. Yeah. It was about a guy. It was sort of like Shark Tank. Although we're Shark Tank, they go, Larry, I'm going to give you this much for your business. And then we never hear from you again. Uh, either one of you. The Prophet is all about taking one idea and seeing what a serial entrepreneur would do with it. And one of the things that he did uh, was he was talking to a dog food company. And like that hardware store, they had one way, one brand, high end. That's it. That's our branding. And the Prophet said, well... Okay, but you're giving up a little bit on the other side. They don't make good food at a lower cost. He put them on a plane and flew them to a couple of plants, let them look how they made it. They added it, just a small area to, to kind of not lose that segment of the audience. And that business went up by about 30% overnight. He got them out of that prison of familiarity. And um, I, I just sense that you're the kind of guy that is always looking, always kind of letting it turn, letting it churn. And that's inspiring. I mean, that's 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 why you write a book. Uh, that's why you have, and we're going to get into it. Okay, uh, Rob. So speaking of TV shows, what year yeah. was the Prophet on TV? Oh, like two years ago. Oh, now do you now? I don't know if you're old enough, but do you remember a, a show called The Mad Squad? Yes, I remember that. Of course, I was just a baby at the time, but yes, I remember I, The Mod Squad. Uh huh. Do you remember the the black character's name? Link. Yes. Yes. Do you remember what kind of hairy off he had? It was an afro. I don't know. Yes. 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 What kind of hair did you have when you were 16 years old? When I had hair? Yes. Uh, It was pretty wild. It was, it was, I did, you know, way it did what it wanted to do, but it was a lot of it. Let's put it that way. Okay. Me too. So yeah, all our customers were black in the hardware store. And, you know, a year later, we got all the laundry, all the stuff coming in. Women are starting coming into the store. And, you know, everyone's sporting the Afro. And all our employees have Afro. So I said, how do you maintain that Afro? And they said, oh, you, you, we spray this shine spray on every day. And I said, oh, my God, there's everyone's wearing it. It must be a huge business. I actually contacted the three top manufacturers of the shine spray. They came into the hardware store. They saw what was going on. And I said, I want to buy direct from you. And they said, well, why not? They opened us up. And within the first year, we were their number one outlet in Michigan for black hair care products. Yeah, that's amazing. That's a serial entrepreneur. You look for opportunities. And how can you profit from them? Take advantage of them. Yeah. It's almost like a mantra you should put up. You know, just keep looking. Keep looking. Keep looking. So you let me jump to the book for a second. Because I, because I, 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 I'm. When's the book come out? First of all, April 9th. Okay, so it's, it's but, you can, we, but you can order it now. Good, and uh, everybody, I'm telling you right now, um, this is this is an audience that knows books. We pre-order books. We pre-order them one. Let's get it out of the way. We got it done. We don't have to remember. And two, it really means something to the author because those pre-orders change the algorithm on Amazon. So you don't have to wait till April. Get in line. Get it now. It'll be coming out. And then remember, you're going to write a review for it. So, okay, we got it coming out April 9th. Walk me through that. What made you, is this your first book? It's my first book. Okay. What, when you get hit on the head by a coconut? How'd that book find you? How did you know? Are you trans, transcending? I, I, Larry, I know because we never find a book. The book finds us. That wasn't an accident the way I phrased it. So tell me that story. 
I was in Puerto Rico last January with my wife and my middle son. We were sitting underneath a palm tree and the coconut came off the palm tree and hit me in the head. I'm not making this up. And then, then I said, I'm going to write a book. And then my wife and my kid says, "You are you nuts? I said, of course I'm nuts. I'm an entrepreneur. And I said, why do you want to write a book? Okay, so here's the reason why I said I want to write a book. I just finished Stephen King's book, Fairy Tales. I, I just, I read a thousand books a year. I love Stephen King. He's my favorite author. Fairy Tales inspired me. I said, I'm going to write a book. And he said, why are you going to write a book? I said, I'll tell you why to write a book. Toby Keith just passed away, stomach cancer, 62 years old. Jimmy Buffett passed away last September 1st. I was a, I'm a parrot hat. I mean, I just love that. And when someone passes away, the next day comes out all the accolades. And I said, I don't want the accolades coming out for me when I die. I want to write my book and have my accolades before I die. So my kids, my grandkids and friends and everyone wants to read, they'll know about my story before I die. So they, you know, that's one reason why I wrote the book. But then the other reason I wrote the book is your intro. So many businesses fail after five years. Most businesses don't get to a million dollars. Less than 1% businesses get to $10 million in sales. So 5.4 million businesses start in the U.S. every single year. And then I think, okay, so they started the business. Now they're in year one. Now they're in year two. That's 16 million people that are in business in three years. And so, yeah, the coconut hit my head. I decided to write the book for these people, the entrepreneurs and the business people that write their, that start their businesses so they don't make the same mistakes that I made. And I made so many mistakes. They're all documented in the book, <laughs> costing me a lot of money. If you can just eliminate one mistake from reading the book, it's well worth the nineteen dollars and ninety nine cents, yeah. which is about the same price as a martini at a restaurant these days. It's a lot cheaper than making a, a big business mistake. You know, as a kid, Larry, I used to, I, and I'm telling you, I'm like four or five years old. First time I saw The Wizard of Oz, and I, I was annoyed as a five year old at right near the end when the Good Witch said, "You know, I could have basically sent you home anytime." Uh, but you had to learn this lesson here, see? And even at five, I thought, I, that doesn't make sense to me. Why put somebody through so much pain? And for small businesses, it's so much expense. Sometimes it can create dysfunction in the family. So much hardship when there are lessons out there. Now, if you don't want to listen to the lessons, if you don't want to write the, you know, read the book, go at it. Go ahead and take a shot. But I am really a fan of not having to learn through my mistakes. And as a father of three, I made that clear with my children. I We never got into the speech of, I could have told you, but I felt you had to learn that one for yourself. My speech was, I'll be happy to tell you. And if you don't want to listen, you can learn it for yourself. But I, I think there's wisdom there. And, you know, as we get older, I think we, we sort of learn that, yeah, I don't mind somebody helping me. You know, from you know, keeping me from myself, uh, so to speak. So, uh, congratulations! And by the way, welcome to the welcome to the club. Uh, it it will exceed your wildest imagination in terms of some of the doors that that book's going to open up and the pride that you're going to feel with that book. And uh, but they're like my children. Some of them do better than others, <laughs> but I give them the best life I can. I wish them well. I'm there to support them any way I can. So, uh, but but congratulations, Larry. Books don't write themselves. Uh, it, Thanks, it, Rob. It, it takes work. It takes and, work. You know, and first and foremost, if I didn't write the book, I wouldn't have met you. Well, there you go. And you, I, I mean, it's amazing. You know, people like you are so amazing. You know, 
I've, I've been in the beauty business for 50 years. I've dealt with big companies like L'Oreal. I've dealt with Unilever. I've dealt with so many companies. But when dealing with authors, authors is just like dealing with physicians. They just love what they do. And there's no competition between authors. And they're, they're so partnership. They're so friendly. They're so helpful. I mean, it's one of the most amazing communities I've ever experienced. So you're 100% right. Writing the book got me exposed to other authors and publishers and the whole genre of, of the book world is it's, it's, it's utterly amazing. I mean, on Amazon every day, 5,000 books published, 800 hardcover. So 5,800 total books. So there's no shortage of books, 860 million sold last year, but all authors, I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable how, how friendly and helpful and look, look at what you've done with, 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 with your, whole business and your podcast and your books and everything that you're doing. It's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun and it's, and it's a wonderful club to be in. And, you know, you throw those numbers out and when I'm, I'm just going to spend 20 seconds on this, but for any of you who have had this dream um, and, and really want to bring it across the finish line, because most people dream it, but can they do what Larry did? Can they, can they take it across the finish line? Don't ever worry about how many are published today or tomorrow. Uh, I, I can tell you that the majority of them will never sell more than 200 books. If you're ready to work as hard, if not harder, than you did writing the book to work for that book and to promote that book and to get it into people's hands and look for opportunities, uh, your book will be successful. It's under your control. Uh, I, I think a lot of people sort of run out of gas once they write a book. And um, I think that's when the, when the party starts. So uh, we we don't worry about the numbers. You you sell more than two hundred and fifty books. You just left about ninety five percent of them in the dust. So we can get there. We can get there. Okay. You're you're uh, you're, you're up. that's unbelievably true. Yeah, it's like a hundred percent. And you know yeah. you don't write a book to make money. You do it for the passion of writing the book. Exactly. Exactly. You do it. You do it. And and you know you're going to leave something on this earth like a painting. Uh, it's, it stays, it's in the library of Congress. It, it, it's, it's going to outlive you. And, uh, and I, and like you, I kind of like that. All right, let's jump back into this book a little bit more. Uh, uh, first of all, I did want you to know first book I ever read that I really loved that opened up my, my eyes to reading was the stand. Uh, oh my and, God. Yeah. Stand. Uh, it's, it's like yeah. Un unbelievable it's an book. unbelievable book and for a guy that was somewhat intimidated by reading and and i'm looking at this book that's about 1500 pages that book was so good that i got about 100 pages in and i had to slow down in terms of it was like eating a lobster i'm going to take my time with this lobster i want this is a nice long meal so uh but stephen king and i've read a bunch of his books uh I, he got me going a little bit too so that's another thing we share all right uh yeah, let's see. Yeah, uh, let's go to the um the the health and beauty aid store. Uh, you know, you said that um what made it successful was that you differentiated yourself from the competition. That jumped out at me, Larry, because every entrepreneur and I'm 31 years running my business. Uh, there's a lot of companies that do training. I like to think that I differentiate myself a little bit. I think that's really where the action is. And yet most companies have no idea what differentiates them. In other words, I work with Toyota. Uh, it's a car. Uh, it has windshield wipers too. I mean, what makes that different? So tell me about, in terms of your business, how in your mind as an entrepreneur, you differentiated yourself. And let's see if we can't get some, you know, find some pearls of wisdom in that. Okay, so... 
the retail stores in the early 80s. Mm -hmm. That's the age of the golden age of discount health and beauty stores opening. The first one that opened in the, in the U.S. was called F&M. And then Marks came and Showman's came. Marks is the only discount health and beauty store still standing. Uh, they do over a billion dollars a year. But they they bought closeouts and they bought remnants from the manufacturers that wanted to get rid of them. They bought all they had and put them at a deep discount price. And it was like uh, the first, like TJ Maxx before TJ Maxx was around. Okay. And it was like before Costco was around. And it was a place that you'd go to every week and the merchandise would be different. And you'd stand in line and the, the bargains were incredible. It was, a, the retailing back then, Rob, was just so exciting. And I decided I'm going to get into that. I'm going to open up an upscale store. So it's going to be discount. But instead of closeouts, it's going to be regular goods at a discount. But I'm also going to do premium products like fragrances and cosmetics that department stores sell. I'm going to do this, this, the specialty greeting cards at discounts and wrapping paper. But the thing that set me apart and the reason why I got to where I am today is not because I differentiated myself then, because little did I know that when I set the store, it was like 8,600 square feet, did 5 million a year. Uh, within six months, I had to reset the store 50% of the merchandise, totally out and 50% new merchandise in. How did that all happen? We anticipate, entrepreneurs anticipate what people want. So like in the hardware store example, I anticipate, okay, we're going to put laundry detergent in, it's sold. We're going to put black hair care, it's sold. But in the health and beauty aid store, I anticipated what was going to sell and I was wrong. So what propelled me to succeed when so many others would have failed? At the end of each aisle, I put a clipboard with a pen. What would you like that we don't have in the store? And every day, the customers filled out pages and pages of what they wanted in this, on the clipboard. And I looked at that, and they all came in with babies and toddlers. Babies cry, toddlers scream. We had no baby stuff. We had no toddler stuff. So I took 25% of the store and created a baby section, toddler section, and overnight, the, the business transformed. I, I put teething bagels in for the babies. I put dum-dum suckers in for the toddlers. Now they're quiet, and they're both quiet. And now the, the, the mothers are shopping happily without any craziness. They've loaded up their shopping cart. And that, that was the, the creation of the baby section. And then, you know, back then, uh, strollers were just a commodity item. And I added uh, this one stroller line from Japan. It was called a Prika. It was like over $200. We became the exclusive seller of uh, uh, Preka strollers. Uh, Trivial Pursuit came out back then. We became the number one store in the country for selling Trivial Pursuit games. Wait, and this then is, um, this is a beauty store? It's, it's a beauty store, but I, I, they wanted gifts. So I created this gift section. And it was a, so people came into the store. Remember Cabbage Patch Dolls? Sure. Oh my God, we, we were into that craze. So we were into all these shower radio, all these crazy crazes. But then uh, people asked for manicuring supplies. And we had professional hair care products, but we didn't have anything for manicuring. And they asked for manicure supplies. I diverted all these goods. I put an end cap together, just like of the laundry detergent of manicuring supplies. And then one weekend they, they were all gone. And then that week that, that end cap became an eight foot section. And before you knew it, I had to become a wholesale distributor if I wanted to get more and more products. And that transformed me from being a retailer to a wholesale distributor. It's amazing. You know what? I'm going to turn the question around a little bit. 
how do you avoid the temptation to um, try and be everything to everyone? You know, you have so many, you're so diverse that do we lose the branding of the store? Uh, and and it's not a trick question. I'm just, it, it, I'm just, my mind is going there because I, I have, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a junior Larry and I love trying new things. And I, you know, and, uh, but every now and then I'm wondering, am I lacking the discipline to stay with what I've got? Am I chasing the a, a shiny penny, penny in the corner? Um, or is this a, an intelligent decision? So I'm asking this for me. How do you avoid uh, jumping too fast at a new idea, I guess? No, that's a great question, Rob. And, you know, today you can look at Costco. Mm -hmm. Costco to me is mm -hmm. the ultimate uh, retailer. I mean, Amazon just surpassed Walmart for the first time in quarterly sales, $170 billion versus Walmart's $160 billion. No one would fathom that anybody would catch Walmart. But Costco... They only have 1,100 SKUs in their stores. That's it, 1,100 SKUs. And they say, you're going to buy our SKUs or you're just not going to buy it at all. And they don't, they're not the everything store. They have a SKU or two SKUs per category that you can choose from, mostly their brand, Kirkland brand. But when I did the retail store, I just said, I'm not going to be the everything store. You can't be the everything store. Right. You have to be the everything store for the customers that you want to attract. Yeah. And I don't want to attract people that had no money. I don't want to attract the people that didn't have kids. I don't want to attract the people that only want to shop once or once a month or once every six months. I want to attract the customers that were they needed goods. They want to come to the store every week. And how, what goods did I need in the store to bring them back week after week after week? Not the once every month. Uh, so I don't want single guys coming in here. That, so you can't appeal to everyone. You'll go broke. Right. You have to you have your it's called a niche. And entrepreneurs if successful entrepreneurs, they find your niche. Right. And if you don't find your niche, it's so difficult. In the professional beauty industry, if you look at beauty products in the, the overall retail, manicuring accounts for less than 2% of the overall business. So I was in a niche and I, I dominated the niche category. And I recommend if you're an entrepreneur and you're in a business, whatever you're in a service, you're in a product, you're in a tech, whatever it is, find that niche and then dominate it. Yeah. Well said. Um, and that also sort of lends itself to, you know, a marketing theme here too, because you can't market, you know, everything to everybody. You're right back where you started from. So yeah, the magic word is niche. Um, and when I know the niche of a company as a consultant, I can help them sell it. Uh, you know, I worked for Xerox for you know a decade. We were very clear on our niche. First of all, we were going to be high end and second ease of use. Uh, we weren't messing around with that. We were usually very underfeatured. We had some issues. Uh, but once we knew what our niche was, Larry, then we would coincidentally get into conversations about how many people are using the equipment and how long does it take to train them to use it? And what happens when you have a new employee here who doesn't know how to use it? And so when they break it, how long does it take to fix it? What we're doing is we're driving people towards that niche of a customer going, you know what, Larry, I don't know what kind of machine you got, but I sure hope it's easy to use. Good. I'm glad you thought of it. Let me show you what we got. But that's you're listening to the mind of a salesperson who understands what we are and what we are not, and then can drive not only the marketing concepts, but even the sales concepts towards that niche. That's that a lot of people stumble there. 
Well, newer Xerox, did they have the color copier at the time? Oh, yeah. How old do you think I am? Yes, we had color copier. <laughs> now, I will tell you, if you, you want to out me, we, we were getting this. Uh, we, we I also sold some typewriters. Okay? And we were one of the first companies that went from that composite role of a fax machine to an actual uh, plain paper, which we thought was amazing at that point that we could we could fax on plain paper and it did have a, you know, it's life, but yeah, I was around for a few older things, but yeah, we had color, Larry, we had color. Okay. 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 That's good. I think that was a shot. And you had scanning and you had fax ability all from one machine, right? <laughs> uh, well, yes. <laughs> Higher end kind of, uh, you know, just an obscure thing, but do you know that amongst other things, Xerox invented the mouse Xerox invented pull down menus, basically what you see, what Microsoft had. But Xerox also invented facsimile. Uh, that's not just coming from a, a Xeroid who believes everything you know centers around that company. Uh, we called them telecopiers, nice antiquated term. And um, we didn't think anybody wanted them, uh, but had them around a good decade before they got hot. Uh, same with the mouse. We had a mouse, charged way too much for it, wasn't sure about the applications. But Xerox is a fascinating company, and I'll always bleed blue X's, folks, so I'm not stepping on any Xerox toes, but a company with some of the greatest ideas but did not know how to market those ideas. They knew how to market a copier and a printer, but um, it's it's amazing if you ever go to um, and look at a patent office, it's always shocking to see an idea that you see and how many decades earlier that idea was out, but nobody knew how to market it. So there was a patent on it, but you never heard of it. And then somebody figured out how to get it into people's hands. Hundred uh, percent. Yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. All right, let's talk. Uh, let's talk about something happy here. The pandemic. Okay. Um, it, we all had to pivot. You know, take it. You know, a guy lived on the road. You know, giving seminars in ballrooms at, at Marriott hotels. We all had to pivot. So we hear you're a serial entrepreneur. Tell me about uh, how you had to pivot once that pandemic came in and affected your business. So good question. So you heard from me being a retailer in the hardware business, then the health and beauty business. Then you heard about me becoming a wholesale distributor for yeah. professional nail products. Along the way, I started manufacturing some products because I got cut off by manufacturers over a dozen times. It was painful. It's all in my book outlined it, it. So it made me do some manufacturing. So by 2020, 40% of our business was manufacturing, 60% was distributing. And I was distributing for about 200 different brands. When the pandemic came February and then March 5th was locked down, we were already manufacturing PPE products. So face masks, nitrile gloves, disinfectant, hand sanitizer, all that stuff we were manufacturing. So we were a central company. We were allowed to stay open. All our competitors had to shut down. So all the manicurists and hairdressers and, and massage therapists and skincare, they had to buy it from us because they couldn't buy from their local supplier anymore. They were shut down. But more importantly, because we had nitrile gloves and face masks, we were starting to deal with funeral homes. So the top three funeral home chains, their distributors were out of stock within like three days because they were distributors. There's nothing worse than being a distributor. They started buying from us. Right. nursing homes, doctors. And we, we started getting calls for body bags. We started getting calls. There's these makeshift hospitals were opening up all over the country and they couldn't get PPE. They contacted us and we supplied them PPE. Now, how did we get PPE? 
well, we, I, I was buying, you know, the, we were buying it before we were manufacturing. My manufacturer stepped up and I had to make a decision, Rob. Do I focus on being a manufacturer 100% or do I stay my business model distributor and manufacturer? None of my manufacturers that I distributed for were in business. They couldn't convert their production lines to PPE. They had no concept. I, did, I had no need for any of them anymore. So I made a decision to cut off more half my business, 60% of my business, over $20 million of business, and focus 100% on manufacturing. And that, that's what changed everything. And I, I, I was working four days a week before the pandemic, and then I started working 24-7 during the pandemic. I was dealing with thousands of doctors, nurses, funeral homes. I mean, you, you, you name it, all begging and begging for PPE. I can't tell you how many lives I think we saved. But the, the, the worst moment came in May during the peak of the lockdown. And we needed so much gloves and so much masks. We were selling a box of masks for $3.99 before the pandemic, paying 75 cents. During the pandemic, that box of masks went to $39.99 mm. per box. Our cost was $16. Nitro gloves were $7.99 a box before the pandemic. They went to $40 a box. We were paying $16 and we couldn't even get them. Right. Air freight went from $5 a pound to $30 a pound. So I chartered a FedEx plane for $1.1 million. I loaded it up with gloves and masks. It cost me $2.6 million. I had to cash out my 401k to pay for it because I didn't like that. I didn't have that. And the, the plane arrived May 15th. June 1st, the country opened up. And of course, demand for PPE went down. But the bottom line is we were an Amazon reseller. We were one of the first we were the first Amazon reseller for beauty products way back in 2000, early 2000s. In 2012, we were selling quite a few products on Amazon, and we convinced our manufacturers to distribute their products on Amazon on our behalf. So our products on Amazon gained notoriety during the pandemic. And because of that, today, uh, we manufacture 100%. And we have more best-selling beauty and personal care products on Amazon than any other manufacturer. Uh, last year, our sales were up 44%. Uh, this year, we're, we're, we're trending 49%. It, it's just been an incredible uh, expansion. And we have the number one selling nitro glove on Amazon because of this. I mean, we sell between 60 and 80,000 boxes a week. Wow. It's crazy. I know. Yeah, there's 38,000 boxes in a container. So that's like two containers a week, just of gloves. This, this is a serial entrepreneurial entrepreneur you're listening to. Uh, but you know what? It's almost like listening to somebody describe a financial portfolio. Uh, you know, a smart portfolio is diversified, meaning we don't push all our eggs into one basket. We don't just play, you know, aggressive stocks. We play some on this side, some on this side. Bond market's down, but this part is up. Bond markets comes back. Um, most entrepreneurs that are successful aren't afraid to shift. Now you, you're you're like an entrepreneur on steroids. Uh, I really your your story <laughs> is quite amazing. Uh, and, and in the book, uh, take a chance. One hundred one entrepreneurial life lessons for making it big. Am I going to get some of these stories in there? They're all in there. They're all in there. And and you know, and Ginger Lily Farms is one of the brands you mentioned at the be very beginning. Yeah. You know, we are the number one seller of uh, products, personal care products, shampoo, conditioner, body wash, and hand lotion to Airbnbs. During the pandemic, you couldn't go to a hotel. Yeah. 
where could you go? You went to Airbnbs. Airbnbs exploded in popularity during the pandemic. And all these homes, they needed personal care products. And instead of using a little amenities that hotels use, they wanted refill bottles and they wanted economics. And where'd they go? They went on Amazon. And what's the number one brand of gallon size amenities on Amazon? Gingerly Farms. So our business exploded during the pandemic. And today, Gingerly Farms is the number one brand of personal care products in the U.S. <laughs> you, are crazy. Treat, you are a treat to have a conversation with. I mean that. I mean, you, you came in the flattery mean I felt pretty good. But I got to tell you, you're the real deal. Uh, I got to let my last question for you, because just listening to you, I've got, I got a sense that there's a couple of mentors or heroes or somebody that that's affected you in some way to kind of help shape this mind of yours. Is there a mentor or two that, that played that had an impact on this life of yours? Oh my God. Are you kidding me? There's so many mentors. Uh, I mentioned them all in my book. Okay. And I, I also mentioned the five books that, uh, I, I, that molded me the most. They're also in the book, but I think, okay. So Seth Gordon, he wrote the Pur purple cow and you, you drive down the road and you see a thousand cows in the pasture, but there's one purple cow. You want to be that purple cow. That, that was a great book. But the, the, I think the, the organization and the book that's, that conformed me most for my business and culture and management style, leadership style, was Gallup Organization. And they published a book called Strengthfinders 2.0. And it's based, it's one of the top business books of all time, over 30 million copies sold. And it focuses on what your strengths are, your talents, and not what your weaknesses are. And that book, 20 bucks, it's it's well worth it. Uh, it, it I, I talk about it extensively Gallup organization in my book for engagement, engage your employees, engage your customers, engage your community. And these are the kind of things that just make such a difference for an entrepreneur because we're not born to manage people. We hate managing people. We, we want to build businesses. We want to see sales. We want to see profits. We don't care. We don't want to deal with the people. So Gallup organization, and, and we're focusing on employee engagement and customer engagement, just turned our organization upside down. I spent a ton of money with them. Our employees became Gallup trained. I know the top five strengths of all our employees. And it's, 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 it's that's one of the mentors, uh, Jim Clifton. Uh, he's just retired. He's now chairman of the board. His son took over as CEO. Uh, just, just check it out. Uh, I make no money with Gallup, but it's it's one of those mentors that, uh, yeah. And and the CEO of Quill Corporation back before Staples brought it out. Yeah, I talk about that mentor as well. Wow. Okay. All right. Very interesting. You know, in the in three and a half years, I've had uh, the same guest on, I think, twice. Uh, you and I are going to be talking again. Uh, <laughs> we'll give it a little time to rest. It's a lot of ideas you threw out there, but... Um, this has been fascinating. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, um, the words that you are sharing with us really mean something to me because I've lived some of them. Some of them I lucked into, some of them I didn't get your book. And I, I, I banged my head until I figured it out. But, um, I, I think it's, um, I just think it sounds like a great book. I'm going to get a copy. I, just so to remind people, I don't have books sent to me. I don't want books sent to me. If I like a book, I buy a book. And I buy a book, A, nice thing to do for the author. But B, I want a verified review for that author. And if an author gives me a book, I can't do that. So um, you've inspired me to get the book. I'm going to get it. Um, I well, I appreciate that, Rob. 
Oh, yeah. I appreciate that. Um, and I say, my yeah. first thing I say in my book, being an entrepreneur is a combination of luck, curses, and magic. <laughs> and good. we all live that. And you yeah. live that. You've been doing it for 31 years, and you yeah. got, you got to have luck. And you got to believe in magic. Because if you don't believe in magic, you'll never find it. Yeah. But you know what, Larry? It, we, and I don't want to string out that statement, so I love it just the way you wrote it. But mine also is, which you've described numerous times in this conversation you can't be afraid to pivot you can't you can't get stuck in in your way because that's the way you do it uh you you've got to be nimble and you're some of the most fascinating stories you told were stories where you basically had to adjust and change just putting the clipboards at the end of the aisle and try and constantly seeking out new ideas that's not an instinctive move for many of us so that's why we have to be reminded of it because you fall asleep a little bit. One day you wake up and, um, you know, it, you can be a dinosaur. I don't want to be a dinosaur. I'm not ready to be a dinosaur. And I hope everybody listening isn't either. Larry, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, they can just go to my website. Uh, my email address is lgainer at tngworldwide.com. Uh, my website is larrygainer.com. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm easily accessible. Here's the great thing about being an entrepreneur, and here's the great thing about you, Rob. You're doing this podcast. I'm not even paying you for it. And you're doing this because the love of helping other entrepreneurs. And I, I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs and business people I've inspired, I've helped. I, I don't charge them anything. I, I'm not in the business of coaching. And, you know, I, I don't want to compete. I'm not competing with you. I'm not doing keynotes. I'm not doing coaching. I just want to see people succeed. And, you know, I, I've, I've succeeded uh, and you've succeeded, but the, the joy of being an entrepreneur is, is seeing and watching others succeed. And I, I'm doing this $251,000 pitch competition starting March for Michigan because I want startups to succeed and, 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 and just watch the whole process unfold. Beautiful. Uh, and you hit it right on the head, too. That's, that's pretty much how most of us are wired. Uh, and, uh, I will tell anybody who's thinking, you know, well, man, I've had a dream of being an entrepreneur from my seat. I will tell you that six months into it. And again, you know, I left corporate America six months into it. I had the biggest grin on my face. I don't know what, where I'd be six months, six weeks, six years, but I knew one thing I was scratching an itch that needed to be scratched. And regardless of what, what the things I could control and couldn't, I was, I knew I just experienced the greatest six months of my life. Um, you know how lucky you are, Rob? Yeah. The, the thing about Gallup mm -hmm. is you learn your top five strengths, which they call, which I call talents. Right. You know, if you're a musician, you're, you're an actor, you're an athlete, you're a six years old on TV doing a movie. How is it that a six-year-old kid is six years, uh, six years old doing a movie and, and, and acting? And how did they, they, the parents even know that this kid had that talent? They were lucky. Yeah. And I think being an entrepreneur is the same thing. You're born with this gene. But the thing with you, you were in corporate America. You could have, you could have, you could have uh, retired in Xerox, you know, if, if they kept, the, kept their business model current. But you didn't. And you uh, understood that you had this creative talent being an entrepreneur and you went for it. And that's yeah. the thing about entrepreneurs. You got to take a chance. Right. And you, you can't stay in your mold. You, you have to constantly change and constantly evolve. This world that we live in today, it's, it's so different than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. 
And as an entrepreneur, you've got to sense it. You've got to be responsible for it. And you've got to take advantage and take a chance. And that, that you've done it. Right. And you've done it. And the fact is what you and I share, Larry, is we decided that the risk of failure was not going to intimidate us. It wasn't going to scare us. Uh, we, we, 100%. we dust ourselves off. As my dad said, get out, put one foot in front of the other and keep rolling, boy. Uh, <laughs> that's the way I was raised. He was a Marine. Uh, it's, you know? it's not how many times you fall down the count. It's how many times you stand back up. There you go. Great, great words to end with. Larry, I'm grateful to have had you on the show. He was making fun of me before we started and said, this is a small pockets. <laughs> this is, this is a pocket size pep talk. Uh, and, uh, we, let me tell you, I, 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 in my head, I know how long I want a podcast to go for folks. When they go past 35 ish, 40 minutes, it means I don't want it to end. Larry, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed getting to know you. I learned a ton. Grateful to have had you on. Thanks so much. Thank you, Rob. Well, we'll do it again as well as we can next time, everybody. Until then, stay safe. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please rate and recommend it on iTunes, Outcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more information on this show and Rob at Jollis.com. <laughs>